Well, good morning, everyone. You're getting better at this. How are y'all doing today? A little cooler than last week, right? It's got to see some of you moved into the sun to stay, stay warm. Um, we'll take it, though, right? It's, it's good. It's good. Let me get kind of set up here. I just want to uh, welcome everybody here today, if it is your uh, first time. That was the dramatic pause. If it is your first time, uh, we just want to welcome you and just thanks for coming out. We know that there are many places you could be, and we're just thankful that uh, you're out here today and worshiping with us, and we pray that you're blessed today. For those of you joining us online, uh, welcome, and again, we just seem to keep finding new people that are engaging us uh, in many different ways, both in person but also through the online ministry that we have, and so uh, we just want to uh, welcome all of you as well watching uh, from your location as uh, Pastor Tony mentioned, we are in a series. Uh, it's, it's based on the book called An Unhurried Life. Uh, last week, we had a few copies, and I guess it was pretty popular, so we sold out last week. We did order more, but they just didn't make it in in time. So feel free. If you just can't wait, uh, you can get on. and I, It is on uh, Kindle and, um, and iBooks, I believe, so you can download that if you want to do it digitally. If not, uh, you can order it from Amazon or Christian Books or whatever, or you can just wait till next week and, and pick it up here. So uh, however you pr- choose to approach that, uh, feel free to do that. But it is a, it is a great book, and as we started the, the series last week, we got into some of um, kind of the, the idea behind the book is just that, you know, this importance of slowing things down a little bit at times, right? And we, we looked at Jesus as our, as our model, as we should probably in everything, Amen. Uh, we look at Jesus as our model and the way that he would pull away at times to be alone in prayer and in solitude, and that wasn't a bad thing. And so today we're going to continue, and the, you know, it's, if you're following in the book or reading the book, it's kind of based loosely on chapter 3, so that's where you'd want to go to this week if you get a chance to read it. Um, but today, today's message is, is entitled, uh, uh, if I can talk, An Unhurried Life Isn't Necessarily a Lazy Life. So think about that for a second. An unhurried life isn't necessarily a lazy life. Now, how many would, here would admit that there are situations that happen in life at times that require quick and immediate action? Four people. Okay. So how about we go stand in the road until a car comes, and then we'll take another survey after that? Because we would move quickly, right, if there was a car coming. Or if you saw your child in the street, and the child did not see the oncoming car, we would move probably at a very fast pace. We wouldn't say, you know, maybe we should stop and pray about if we should do something before we act. We would just react, correct? And so I remember um, when I was stationed in South Korea, my wife, Leanna, was, was there. It was at the end of my tour there. And we were in a hotel, a nice hotel, and just relaxing. It was, you know, again, my time there was winding down. It was just really nice, and it was great that uh, she could be there and, and come for a few weeks and enjoy, you know, touring around the country. Anyway, so we're like relaxing in, the, in our hotel room and, you know, I'm kind of like dozing off. I'm somewhere between sleep and being awake. And all of a sudden, you know, we hear something and, and Leanna starts, you know, tapping me. And she's like, Del, wake up. And I, I'm like, what? She's like, I think they're saying fire in the hall. You know, and I was like, what do you, I said, no, go, leave me alone. I'm going to sleep, you know, like any man, true man would do. Um, Anyway, so she finally gets me awake, and, and sure enough, they're pounding on the door, and they're saying fire. I don't know why the fire alarm system wasn't going off. That would have been nice. But um, So we get out of the room, like, okay, fine. So we get our stuff, and you know, we try to play the game, if you will. I mean, 
how many fire false alarms have you all been in, right? You know, they, you, you go and look, and you're like, what happened? Somebody accidentally pulled something or set something off. Well, I remember, like, as we're going down the hall, I'm like, this is just crazy. And it's, it's uh, wintertime. It's the end of the year there, and it's freezing cold. So, you know, but we're trying to play the game. So we go out. We leave most of our stuff inside. Well, then we hit the stairwell, and there's, the stairwell's full of smoke. <laughs> and we're like, okay. Things just got real pretty quick, right? And so, you know, we moved out very quickly and in a hurry and, and come to find out there was a kitchen fire in one of the restaurants in the hotel. And while, you know, again, maybe not an immediate danger, uh, once we knew that it was a real deal, you know, things became escalated and there was a quickness to what we were doing. And so, again, there are these situations that come up in life that we just can't predict or can't see. And, and, and it does require quick and immediate action. But really, that should not be our modus operandi, should it? Sometimes I think, you know, depending on where we're at in life or what's happening, we can fall into this routine of just always in a hurry. And I'll tell you, my, my wife and I, we, we struggle with Sunday mornings, for example, if you have small children, can probably amen to that. Because it's always like, we got to go, we're running late. Now, you can wake up five hours before you're supposed to leave. You're always going to be running late out the door. And I'm not going to say I saw you come in late today, but I did, each one of you. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't, there's just this kind of this, this rush can just kind of almost consume our lives. But, and so if we're not careful, but you know, we, we can fall into that as just this is day to day, but there is something to slowing things down. And slow doesn't necessarily mean like we're lazy, does it? Um, has anybody ever been to Washington, D.C. in the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Anybody been there or at least seen it on TV? Y'all, nobody? There's few. Okay. So, if you haven't, you know, I would encourage you to look at it, but that's where the, the guard, and they walk really slow, and they click their heels together and things, and they, they turn, but they're guarding this, this tomb of the unknown soldier as, a, as a, a memorial. And, you know, you watch that guard, it's very, uh, you know, it's very solemn. I mean, you stand there, and it's just like you, you can just kind of feel like the weightiness of what they're doing as they stand watch. And how many here would agree that that soldier, while, though they move very slowly, is not lazy. That they are standing at the ready, aren't they? They are ready to move and try talking very loud. There are videos online if you want to watch that. When people kind of don't kind of reverence the, the site, they will stop and they will bark out something at, at the, the audience to quiet down, to be quiet. Because they're standing at the ready. They're moving at a slow pace, but they are ready to go. Another option, or if you want to, or if maybe you've seen this, is if you ever see uh, maybe when the president speaks in front of the White House, a lot of times in the background you see two Marines or a Marine standing guard at the door, right? Are they moving at all? No, they are frozen still, right? Is that Marine being lazy? Is that Marine standing there just, you know, whatever, lackadaisical? No, there's a readiness to, to what they're doing. They are maybe stationary, but they are ready. And so, again, those guards are not being lazy by any means, but instead, you know, they are, they're in a posture of being ready. And ready, too, you know, even though they're, they're moving slow, or, or they're, you actually learn as a soldier to be relaxed in that, in that position. You know, again, I was in the military uh, for a number of years, and we would do change of command ceremonies. There were often long periods of time, you'd have to stand at attention or at different modified positions, but they teach you how to relax while not moving. And so you can still be relaxed, but still be ready. So as we talked about last week, there is something to how we wait, isn't there? 
There's a difference between that guard standing there versus, you know, somebody just kind of leaning up a tree, you know, against a tree taking a nap. Both are stationary, but there's, there's two different, you know, ways that they're standing there. And so last week we, we talked about how we wait, the way that we wait matters. And so though we are encouraged to wait on the Lord, there is a type of waiting that is unholy though, okay? For example, when we know God has given us instruction to do something and we delay. This is uh, what we would call, there's, there's sins of commission and there's sins of omission. Many of us focus on the sins of commission where, you know, we do something wrong, right? That's, that's typically where our focus is. But if God has given us something to do, either through his word or revealing through his spirit, and we refuse to do that, that is a sin of omission. We are now just, we are not following what we know is right to do, thus becoming wrong. And so, again, there are moments when that we can fall into this unholy type of waiting. So, again, being unhurried doesn't mean that we don't respond when these times come, when the Holy Spirit prompts us, all right? Instead, it means that we slow down enough to hear the Holy Spirit, because, again, that's the whole thought, kind of, well, one of the big thoughts behind this book is that we have to slow down to really hear what God is saying. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. And again, Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. There's just uh, a lot of wisdom from uh, King Solomon. And we, uh, we read in, in chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This is uh, it's in the chapter 3 of the book as well. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an unarmed man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to share from your word today. God, I pray that your word speaks to us today. God, I pray that uh, as we sit just in this beautiful setting and you've given us this beautiful day, God, just that, uh, again, you uh, would just use this time, Lord, that it would be honoring to you, and God, that it would change our hearts. Change us today, Lord, by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So this idea of a holy leisure, all right, if you, if you want to call it that, a holy leisure um, versus an unholy idleness. So holy leisure, again, and unholy idleness. On the outside, initially, they could look very similar, but they're different. I, I kind of termed it like this. Holy leisure is, is motion without much movement, okay? Motion without much movement, meaning you are moving somewhere without a lot of movement. When I drove here this morning, and probably most of you who drove here, uh, you didn't have a whole lot of movement inside your vehicle, did you? You just kind of took your foot and did about that much movement, and it put you into motion, didn't it? And did a little bit of this, hopefully. Maybe some of you were more like this on the way, depending on how late you were, but yeah. But motion without much movement is holy leisure. And unholy idleness, I, I described as mo- movement with little to no motion. Has anybody ever been on a treadmill? How many should be on the treadmill or wanted to be on the treadmill? You know, if, if you have, it's, it's really... I hate treadmills. I'll just be honest with you. I I do not like treadmills. Um, It doesn't matter what I do to try to psych myself up. Because why? Because you get off in the exact same place you started. (laughs) 
right? You did not go anywhere. Now, again, I understand the, the benefits of exercise and things like that, but a, a treadmill, and, and many of us often say even in life, you know, you can get on the treadmill of life where you're not really going anywhere. You're just moving without doing, or, you know, and there's no movement. And so that's kind of this picture, at least my, the, what I saw of this unholy idleness. But in the Bible, we see just so often, so many times, again, Jesus is our example. You know, one of my favorite images, I don't know why it's always stuck out to me, but it's, it's when he's uh, sitting at the table after dinner, and it says he leaned back in his chair after dinner. Maybe you've read this, but isn't that a, just a great image of, of Jesus just being so relaxed, and he just kind of sits back to enjoy where he is and enjoy the moment because he's there for a reason and on, on, on a mission, Right? He's sitting there, as we all know, he, he ate with sinners and with tax collectors and the, the people that no one else, they were kind of the outcasts. But he was there on mission, and so he wasn't all riled up, but he just, he just sat back and just wanted to be and just to be present in that moment. I love that, that image. So as, as we go a little deeper, let's first look at this, this unholy idleness, unholy idleness. There's a, a word that we don't use much in our vocabulary it's, it's, it was, you know, just not in our present time. It just kind of disappeared. But uh, the, the term is acedia, all right? Acedia, and it's derived from the Greek letter A, which means not, and kidos, which is meaning to care. So not to care, okay? This acedius, or acedia. And ultimately, as the author of, this, of the book, Unhurried Life, he points out, he, he summarizes it that it's ultimately a failure to love, a failure to love. And so, again, this unholy idleness, this, un, this ultimate failure to love. Uh, sometimes it, it was called back in the day, uh, noonday demon, okay? Because it would creep in at times when things were kind of still and when there was uh, amongst monks, when they were, they were secluded, and they would, they would face these, this challenge of, of this, this thing that would come in, this feeling. Um, and so as I studied this word and, and I, I was online, I came across an article and it's, it's a recent article and dealing with what we're, some of the stuff that we're facing today. But it's from a publication called The Conversation. And it's an article by a gentleman from Australia named Jonathan Zecker. And this is what he wrote. Just, just listen to this. He says, With some communities in rebooted lockdown conditions and movement restricted everywhere else, no one is posting pictures of their sourdough. Again, there was a big bread movement. I don't know if you knew that. Couldn't find yeast for months. Uh, Zoom cocktail parties have lost their novelty. Netflix can only release so many new series. The news seems worse every day, yet we compulsively scroll through it. We get distracted by social media, yet have a pile of books unread. We keep meaning to go outside, but somehow never find the time. We're bored, listless, afraid, and uncertain. What is this feeling? John Cassian, a monk and theologian, wrote in the early 5th century about an ancient Greek emotion called acedia. And this is what he said, A mind seized by this emotion is horrified at where he is, disgusted with his room. Again, this picture, a monk in the room in, in solitude. It does not allow him to stay still in his cell or to devote any effort to reading. He feels such bodily listlessness and yawning hunger as though he were worn by a long journey or a prolonged fast. Next, he glances about and sighs that no one is coming to see him, constantly in and out of his cell. He looks at the sun as if 
it were too slow in setting. This sounds eerily familiar. How many here can attest to the fact that just things have been in a funk, haven't they? That's the technical term for it. But it's just been, it's just been strange. It's, it's probably different than any of us have ever experienced before. And sometimes we can't really put our finger on it, can we? Like, why do I feel this way? You know, here we are in this beautiful day. We're gathered together and we actually get to see each other. And that's, I, this has helped a ton, I think, for a lot of people. But still, you go back and then during the week and things, and you're just like, you know, you go into the shopping center or the store, the grocery store, and everybody's masked. And um, I embarrassed my wife yesterday because I went to, uh, we went to Starbucks in Target. And I'm sorry, but I just can't resist these things. But there's a path, and they had like the little dots, like for the distance. And so after we ordered, and she can, she's shaking her head back there because it really happened. So I decided, like, I don't know, I was just feeling squirrely. So I decided to hop, like, from circle to circle, even though there was nobody around. <laughs> yeah. So I provide my own free material for my sermons uh, because of things like that. But it's just really strange, isn't it? It's really strange. And it's just really weird. And so we, we face these things. And, and I think this really, for me, I, and I hope it does you, this article kind of summarizes, it kind of maybe just a touch, you know, grabs hold of how we're feeling right now. And so, so again, there's, there's this idea of this uh, acedia, and I think that it really applies. Now, I want to transition now from this unholy idleness to a holy leisure, okay? A holy leisure. And, and the polar opposite of unholy idleness, like I just described, is holy leisure. And I, these words seem kind of strange maybe together, or maybe you've not heard them like this before. But think about it, an unholy idleness on this side, a holy leisure on this side. Jesus was never in a rush, was he? When we, when we, I don't know if you recall, if you've read the scriptures where uh, his family comes to see him and he's, they're outside waiting. They're like, you know, hey, we, we got a special privilege. Let Jesus know that his family's here. And what does Jesus do? Tell him to wait. I'll be with them, you know, when I'm done here. Now, parents, especially if you have older children, imagine if you went, you know, and you wanted to see your child and they were somebody famous and, you know, hey, mom and dad's here, you know, give us the, the VIP, you know, access. And like, ah, just wait outside. I'll be with you when I'm done. But this is what Jesus did. He, he was not in a hurry. He did not rush out to greet his family. And especially do, again, in, in their culture, family, you, it's like up here, you know, way high value of family. Or how about when Jesus, if you remember uh, Jairus in the Bible, when his daughter was sick and he comes to get Jesus and Jesus is coming with him. Hey, he's going to save my daughter. And then what does Jesus do? The woman with the issue of blood, that whole scene happens. And so Jesus stops. And, in, and while he stopped there, the daughter dies. Jesus was not in a hurry. And another story very similar to about Jesus and Lazarus. When Jesus found out, when, when he got word about Lazarus, did he go immediately? No, he didn't. He waited a couple days and Lazarus died. So what was the deal? Why, why did Jesus function the way he did? Well, it's because he knew what his father's will was. He knew where he was supposed to be and when he was supposed to be there. How? From those moments that we talked about last week, those moments of solitude those moments of pulling back, the moments of hearing God's voice. It's amazing when you know you're supposed to be where you're supposed to be and do what you're supposed to do, 
Somebody can come in and they're not going to get you off track because you know you're supposed to do it. You know, if your boss told you to do this, this, and this, and somebody that is less ranking than your boss comes in alongside and says, hey, well, let's do this instead. No, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, and I know I'm supposed to do that. And so again, Jesus knew where he was supposed to be. He was not oblivious to the situation around him. He was just more aware of his heavenly father's will. And how many of us, <laughs> how many of our lives would go just so much better if we would stay tuned in to the will of our heavenly father? not get distracted by the things that are around us. Unlike Asidia, which is, again, not having care, not loving, Jesus cared and loved a lot, didn't he? But Asidia fights to put us in this lethargic kind of fantasy world. It, it wants us to sort of check out. And I think that's probably what we battle in because we just want to kind of numb what we're going through. We feel numb a lot, don't we? Just because of what we're going through. But I don't know if you remember the movie Avatar. Again, it was, you know, cinematically wonderful, but it, it, it enforces that thought of, you know, people, this, this escapism. So I can't, I don't want to deal with what's here in front of me with my struggles, so I'm going to escape to another place. Other people, they do this through drugs, right? Through addictions. But guess what? Whenever you come out of that, what happens? It's still there, isn't it? Nothing has changed because you, you have not engaged it. Church, we are called to be in the world, but not of it. And I underline there the in the world part. I've said this before. You know, why, how come when we, you say yes to Jesus and you're saved, how come we can't just pop out right there, right? Just let's, let's get, it, get it done. Let's just eject. We were left here for a mission, aren't we? We're left here for a purpose and a reason. And so the remedy to this acedia would usually be good godly relationships and good godly work, but it's difficult right now, isn't it? Again, some of y'all, we were, we were greeting each other with all of our, you know, we look like, you know, third base coaches or whatever, trying to give like signals, like, are we shaking, high-fiving, you know, what is it? But it's just kind of this weird thing that we're in. And, and so it's, it's just hard to really connect with people especially, you know, those of us who, you know, don't live with other family members, it can be a very challenging time. I was reading an article just, rec just recently that said the death toll now from suicides is, is going past what COVID is doing because people are de dealing with this depression and isolation. And so it's, it's this challenge now that to counteract this acedia, we would usually do these things, but it's challenging. But our peace, though, and our joy... They stem from our most important relationship and our most important work, which is God's, doesn't it? So think, think about that. Right now, just this situation, it, 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 it kind of wants to force us out of isolation, doesn't it? We're like desperate for relationship. But that pulling back in solitude is the very thing that we need to connect with God, right? To hear God's voice. So you see how the enemy can work and use this. Is, is it, it's, it's the very thing we need is what is, it's being pushed away from right now. It's the opposite. It feels like, no, I don't, the last thing I want to do is be by myself. But that's the very thing I need because when I'm alone, I'm not truly alone, am I? God is present with me. And that is the best scene to hear his voice. 
And so don't misunderstand that acedia is not merely fruitlessness, but instead it begins to produce fruit of the flesh if we stay there, all right? And this stands in direct contrast of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And that's, I want to talk about that for a little bit today. Many of us are probably have heard the fruit of the Spirit many times and, and heard it preached on. So um, we're not going to dive deep here, but I do just want to pause. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Galatians 5. To Galatians 5. And beginning in verses 16, we'll, we're going to go through 16 through 26, but we'll break it down a little bit. But listen to these words as we look at what the fruit of the Spirit is compared to this acedia and this, this state where we just are kind of in a blah. It says that, but I say, again, this is the, the Apostle Paul writing uh, a letter to the church of Galatia. It says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have spirit and we have flesh, okay? We see two sides here. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They're opposed to each other. I know this, this is a, okay, yeah, obviously. No, think about that. They don't run two different tracks. They are opposite forces opposed to each other, spirit and flesh, and they keep you from doing the things you want to. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And that's where we as believers can be, thank you, Lord, right? If we walk by the Spirit, we are not under the law. That means we are not punished under the law because Jesus has paid that price. Now, again, notice the contrast between desires of the Spirit and the desires of the flesh. And if we are not walking by the Spirit, that's a capital S. So if we're not walking by the Holy Spirit according to, to God's will and God's word, we start to walk by the flesh. And so now I want to take a look at what does the flesh produce? When people walk in the flesh or we walk in the flesh, what does that produce? Look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Now check these out and see if these ring a bell. Enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like that. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we see happening in our country right now? Enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Listen, anyone that is created in the image of God has value. That's every single person, just so you know, if, if you weren't aware of that. And I know we're outside, but I feel like the, the wind just got sucked out of all of you. Because this is a serious thing. But this hit me like a ton of bricks today because... If there is a, a hill that I'm willing to die on, it's this hill right here. This is our standard, okay? If you are a Christian and you are a follower of God, this is our standard. We do not have the luxury to pick and choose what's there and what's not. And so here's the deal. In the early church, do you know that Christians were being crucified by the hundreds, if not the thousands? They would line the roads with crucified Christians, 
That's what the Romans would do for decorative purposes. Crucified. And during that time, again, they were being crucified for the simple fact that they were Christian. And so how, what would their response be? Now you had a group that weren't really Christians, but they were called zealots, and they wanted to do what? They wanted to disrupt and cause chaos, overthrow local authorities, and inflict physical harm. That was their answer to what was happening. But in contrast, the true followers of Christ prayed and sought God's will. They maintained unity and continued in the hope, not in man, but in God. And so while there's things that are tense right now, and again, there are a lot of things happening, and, and stuff does, there are some things that need to change. Don't get me wrong. But my point is this, as a church and as a believer and a follower of Christ, you better make sure that you're walking according to the fruits of the spirit and not the fruits of the flesh. We do not have that choice. Let me say it again. We do not have that choice. We are submitted to the word of God. And I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about something far greater and I'm talking about something eternal that we are called to. And so I want to encourage you, church, today, that as we continue to walk out this season that we're in, regardless of, I don't, I don't care what side of the aisle you might call yourself on or whatever, we are called to something far greater than man-made systems. Amen? We are called to be followers of Christ. We are called to emulate what Christ did and the way he walked. How do we do that? Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. And here's the, here's the part, listen to this. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, too many of us, like we talked about last week, we're running past what God is wanting to do, what God is telling us. We're throwing our hands up and being frantic. We need to walk in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, we can't necessarily control what happens out there. But as far as the church and the body of Christ, there must be unity. And I want to challenge each of you today and encourage you, each, each of you today to make sure that what is happening and, and all the way through, I know November's coming. We all are kind of like, oh, what's going to happen? Either way, it's going to be interesting. We'll just put it that way. But here in the church, we have unity. Here in the church, we love each other. Here in the church, we walk in step, submitted to the word of God as our authority. Amen? That's it. I would take this off and drop it, but it costs too much. I make myself laugh sometimes. Let's, so let's, let's I want to just take a few brief moments and uh, just take a quick look because the author, he wrote some things about each fruit of the Spirit. I just want to share these briefly. Notice again, it's, it's not the fruits of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning you cannot pick and choose like a buffet which fruit you're going to partake of that day. We're supposed to show all of these. Spouses, don't nudge one another as I go through this. First is love, right? A lo love. And again, 
the author of the book here, he says it this way. He says, apart from the spirit, we become disengaged and selfish, hating and being hated, uninvolved and uncaring. Listen to this, caring doesn't hurry. How many of you have cared for somebody, a loved one or, you know, you can't hurry through that, can you? It doesn't, it's not natural. Like imagine if you're in the hospital, in a hospital bed and somebody comes by for a visit and they just come running in all a breath and, you know, slap you with the Bible and give you a flower and say, all right, I got to go. Bye. You know, God bless you. And they ran out. Would that feel very caring? No, it's when that person comes and they take time to spend time with you and to invest in you. And, and because your rela- relationship is, is valuable, that's, that's what love is. And that is what God is. God is love, right? God is love. Joy, apart from the spirit, we become depressed or we seek thrills instead of a holy delight. See, in the spirit, joy is not dictated by our situations, is it? It doesn't say to be happyful. It says to be joyful. Happy is an emotion that, hey, when something's going good or I'm happy, I'm happy. Joy is a choice sometimes, isn't it? That's why in the darkest moments and in scripture you read, you know, even in, in under tests and trials, we can still have joy. Joy of the Lord is our strength. Peace, apart from the spirit, we become worried and anxious, hurried and stressed, frazzled and frayed. Listen, peace is a fruit of unhurriedness, right? Peace is a fruit of unhurriedness. Here's one, patience. Every parent just kind of like, ooh, patience. Because it's hard sometimes. Apart from the spirit, we easily lose our temper and in no time we become intolerant and irritated. Patience is the opposite of worry. And man, I have to confess of the, especially Sunday mornings with my kids, just like, what is, what is going on? It's a shoe, just put it on. I just, we need to go. <laughs> but it's, it's our own, it's, our, it's what's in here though, isn't it? It's not what they're doing. It's us, we lose, we lose our patience. And then I got to get up and preach about it. So it's <laughs> patience. Forgive me, but God's grace is enough. Kindness, apart from the spirit. Again, we fail to offer even just a simple courtesy to others. True kindness takes unhurried time, doesn't it? I mean, like if you, if you hadn't seen another living soul for, uh, you know, a year and you saw a person from a mile away, you would probably run to that person, wouldn't you? Just oh my gosh, you're a real person. How many times do we just walk by somebody and not even make eye contact? Be kind, show kindness. Goodness, apart from the spirit, our goodness becomes self-righteousness. Goodness is a fruit of unhurried communion with God, the only one who is good. Faithfulness, apart from the spirit, we can become flaky, burned out, and unreliable. Faithfulness is evident in unhurried commitment. A long obedience in the same direction. I love that line. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness is. Gentleness. Apart from the spirit, we become sharp and harsh with others, demanding an unsympathetic gentleness isn't in a harsh hurry. And lastly, self-control. Apart from the spirit, we spin out of control and become enslaved to pleasure, power, and empty amusement. Self-control resists the rush to get what we crave. Look at our society today, right? We're a want-it-now culture. Like if I drive through McDonald's and I'm there longer than nine you know, minutes and 32 seconds, we're going to have problems because we want it now, right? That's, we, we're on the move. Amazon, next day delivery, right? Except for our books. We can do that. 
But hey, it's everything is now, 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 right? Self-control is counters that, the fruit of the spirit. So how do we keep slipping from, into this unholy hurry individually? Okay, first we walk in the fruit of the spirit as we've covered, which only comes through an unhurried orientation to both God and people, right? Two greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And love your neighbor. Now, just for those of you who are confused, it's not just your neighbor next door, okay? That means everybody. So sorry if I just blew your whole theology out the window, but it does, it means everybody. We're supposed to love others as we love ourselves. So we can't, we gotta do that. And that's how we walk in the fruit of the spirit is because we are in an unhurried orientation to God and to people. It is un, an impossible thing to display, display the fruit of the spirit in a vacuum. And this is sometimes with the argument of, you know, the, the oneness theology, meaning God is one person, not the three in one, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because if God is love and there's only one, how does that even play out? Love has to have an object to, to place it on. You know what I'm saying? And this is where the Trinity, uh, a support for the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For there to be love, there has to be somewhere for that love to be. And so if God is love, God is three in one. How do we recognize unholy hurry in the church? Well, it shows up when we just keep having more and more things, right? This whole season's really simplified things, hasn't it? So it's great. So all of you come out here on Sunday, that's pretty much it, right? For the most part, there's life groups, some life groups, but a lot of things are online now. But we, we just, we can fill our, our, our schedule with things, even in the church. And people are kept busy with just doing jobs and ministry jobs. But so that, going back to the, the beginning of this, there's a lot of movement, but the purpose can get lost, can it? We're doing so much, but like, what, what are we actually working towards or what are we doing? And so this has been a great season to stop and reflect and assess Doing and fruitfulness are not synonyms, all right? Doing and fruitfulness are not synonyms. Again, sorry, I'm on the military examples today, but one of the favorite things military folks likes to do is they, there's a pile of dirt, let's say, and your sergeant comes out and says, I want this pile of dirt to be moved over there, right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And so you spend the whole day moving that pile of dirt. And guess what you're gonna do the next day if there's nothing else... Exactly. So, hey, remember that pile of dirt? We're going to actually put it back where it was the day before. And they'll just do that until they find something else for you to do, you know? That, if you want to summarize doing without fruitfulness, there you go. Next week, we'll have a pile of dirt out here for uh, demonstration purposes. But when was the last time that you saw rest, finding rest as the objective as opposed to the means to get back to work, Right? Think about that for a second. A lot of times when we're recovering, when we're seeking rest, what is it? So we can get charged up so we can get back in the game, right? But when was the last time you sought rest just because the rest itself was beneficial? That was the destination. You see, overwork, when we we get into the other extreme of overwork, hardens our heart to the things of God and to his voice. And so we need to find those points where we pull back and we find rest. As the musicians come, here's a, just a thought. We have to learn, church, to slow down so we can hear the voice of God and so we can carry out his will in his timing. 
we touched on this last week a bit, but you know, how many know, again, it's, it's not just about understanding what God's called you to, but it's the win is very important, right? The win is very important. If you're going to take a flight somewhere, <laughs> it's very important that you show up on the right day at the right time, right? You could show up another time, but they're going to look at you, you know, three shades of crazy. They'll be like, uh, no, you're not leaving for four days. The win matters. You know the destination where you're going, but the win matters. And so, again, it's, it's not just about hearing God's voice about what, but God, what is your timing? And then we can walk with God instead of running off on our own or to the wrong thing. You know, one of the most <laughs> crazy things is, is imagine, you know, if you're going a direction and again, with Google and GPS things and stuff now, it doesn't happen maybe quite so much, but back in the day, if you took a wrong turn on a highway and you went west instead of east, you understand that that's, you're not gonna get to where you're wanting to go, right? taking the time to understand which way you're supposed to go and to make sure those moments we come to in our life right now is one of those moments because we're feeling so much stress and there's so much coming at us and there's decisions we have to make. And if we do not take time to pull back and to unhurry ourselves and to slow down and to really seek what God is saying, just because we feel the need, we gotta do something, we gotta go. We could simply, we could go in the wrong direction. I used to say this a lot and it just came to my mind, but I always, I always would often say to people, um, not every good thing is a God thing. Not every good thing is a God thing. And when I talk to people and I see people in the church, so many times I see people do just so many good things, but trying to slow them down and say, but what has is, what is God put in your heart? What has he called you to? Quantity versus quality, right? How many of us would probably be so much better off if we could just slow down and hear God and know, God, this is, this is what you called me to and this is what I'm going to go after. I can be in some other things here and there, but overall, this is, this is it. Because once you know, it's the greatest thing, isn't it? I remember when God called me to ministry and it took me almost 20 years, and I'm not joking, it took me almost 20 years to actually step into the pulpit, if you will into the pastoral role. But I'll never forget the first time I preached in this little church. Pastor, you know, I was just greatly appreciative of him for giving some young guy, you know, I was in my 20s, a chance. It was probably like the worst sermon ever. Um, maybe worse than today, but... Uh, but I just remember, like, as soon as, you know, the only way I can describe it is there was like... Sometimes in our heart or in our spirit, we can feel like this grinding and just kind of things feel disheveled and messed up. And I remember when I stood in the pulpit and as soon as I started preaching, everything went like calm. It's kind of like when you take off, you know, on an airplane and it's like shaking and all the, the luggage sounds like it's going to fall out of the ceiling. And as soon as it takes off, it's just like, whew. that's how it felt. And I believe that, you know, that's something, I'm trying to give you something tangible and practical for your life. Like there are times, again, no matter all the struggles that came and come, in ministry, I still have that peace in my heart. Like, this is what God's made me to do. This is what God's called me to do. 
and I know it, and it's the greatest thing to know because when challenges come, and they will, <laughs> you always go back to, I know that you called me to this. And so I want to encourage each of you today, what has God called you to do? And in your times, and I, I really pray and hope that you, all, you guys are getting the, the books and you're working through them and you're really making an effort to just slow some, some, get some time through the week and just say, God, what is it you called me to do? Where do you want me to serve? Who do you want, who's in my path today that I can show the love of Christ to, that I can be kind to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that you are ever-present, that you are a help in time of need, and God, that you see the situation, Lord, this whole thing that's happening, not just COVID, but all the, the unrest, Lord, we see around our country. God, you, you, this is not a surprise for you. You're not, like, shocked by what's happening. This is, this is something you saw since the beginning of time. And God, I pray that today that every, every person within the sound of my voice today is reminded that you are God and that you are sovereign, that you are still on the throne. God, that you have not forsaken us. God, that your watchful eye is, is, is on us and sees every single step. God, you see the struggles, you see the pain, you see the hurt. And God, I believe that you are calling your church to rise up and to meet the hurt head on. Because God, we carry the only thing that can truly resolve these issues. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you're here in this place today or if you're watching online and you do not know what that means, that you've not given your life to Christ, today can be that day. And it's simply acknowledging that you need a savior, that you are a sinner, that, that you fall short and that you recognize that he died on the cross for your sins and rose on the third day. And I say this all the time, but it's easy for, for us to cry out for a savior, but he also demands to be Lord of your life as well. Not in a dictatorial way, but <laughs> because he loves us. Lord, help us to be submitted to your will today. Help us, Lord, to, to discover what your plan is rather than us going on our own way and then asking you to bless it. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I thank you for these people here. Thank you for those watching online, Lord God, that you're, again, ever-present. God, I pray that you give us peace. I pray that you give us strength, Lord God, and I pray that we truly can walk out our lives full of the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you for this time today. In Jesus' name, amen.